afternoon, good morning, depending on where you're joining us from on uh, today, Council, a Boston-based uh, research analyst firm and community uh, that focuses on service, best practices and service and field service, customer experience, so on and so forth. I am incredibly pleased to be joined by uh, my colleague uh, and partner in crime today, Karen Hamill. Karen is the VP of U.S. Digital Buildings Services for Schneider Electric. Karen, warm welcome to you today. Thank Hello. you for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Uh, before we begin, before we jump into things, um, this is uh, another episode of the in-service podcast series. We toggle between our technology audience and our service uh, leadership audience. Today, Karen is uh, obviously from the service leader audience. And, and we've built today's discussion around the topic of the voice of the field service engineer. Um, this is um, a, an area that the service council has been very um, plugged in on over the last five years, something that we think is important. We're constantly benchmarking service leaders. What are the macro level trends that they're following? What are the pressures and and investments that they're placing um, their their bets on? Um, and and one time a year, we plug in frontline and and try to learn about what is happening in the day and uh, in, in the 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 life that happens for our frontline technicians and field service engineers day by day. What are they doing? What are they challenged by? What do they need? What what they like to have? Are they satisfied with the career, their company, their management, their colleagues? So um, it, really interesting timing for this topical discussion because we have our Voice of the Field Service Engineer Survey currently live. Uh, and uh, we've already eclipsed 700 technician and engineer respondents in about a week. So we're fired up to keep that going. We expect several thousand this year. So the data is really rich and some cool findings. And I'll sprinkle some of those findings across today's discussion, a little fairy dust, if you will. Um, so today's podcast can be found on whatever channel you subscribe to, whether it's Spotify or whatever other IFI you, 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 you uh, subscribe to. It's also accessible on our website. So if you want to revisit it, share it with colleagues, uh, it is something that you can point to, link to, share, all of the above. Without further ado, Karen Hamill, welcome back. Karen is a board member of the Service Council. She keynoted last year's symposium. She also took and carried the torch from her colleague, James Milet. Uh, and with that, uh, she, she, she earned, excuse me, not obvious, it was obvious when we learned about all the impact she was making at Schneider, was the uh, recipient of the Services Humanity Award at the 2021 Service Council Symposium. Karen, how does it feel to be the reigning services humanitarian champion oh, here? That was the highlight of my year, honestly. <laughs> it was unexpected. It was an honor. And to accept it on behalf of my whole team, it was just the best. So thank you so much for that opportunity. Well, it was well-deserved. Uh, Karen's been uh, at the helm uh, leading service for a number of years now and, and just doing some really special things with respect to um, identifying the importance of the frontline uh, field service engineers and technician workforce, but also rewarding, recognizing, and, and expanding uh, their impact in, within the organization. And, and then also thinking about their career path in terms of career ladder, career lattice, all sorts of cool things. Uh, but the, the emphasis on the, the technician and the engineer being the superhero. So kudos to Schneider Electric and Karen uh, under her leadership 
uh, carrying that torch forward. Karen, talk talk to us a little bit about your personal and your professional background. Spend a little bit of time introducing yourself to our audience. Absolutely. Um, well, I started, you know, although I work in corporate America today, I started my career in hospitality in my college years, you know, working my way through college in the restaurant business. And I mean, I never, it's such a benefit to me now. I, I didn't realize it at the time, of course, but I, I worked many years in the restaurant business and mainly on the East Coast. I grew up in Rhode Island and I went to the University of Rhode Island and I got a degree in business management. Um, when you get a degree in business management in the small state of Rhode Island in the early 2000s, there are basically two employers that you would go to. And one of them was American Power Conversion, APC. And so I, I went to work at APC and um, Schneider Electric ended up acquiring them a few years later. So very um, lucrative win-win, you know, being able to then be a part of this amazing, huge global corporation, Schneider. Um, along the way, I relocated to the Chicago area, which is where I reside today. Although physically, I, I mentioned to you, John, I'm in Nashville uh, at <laughs> this moment. I have uh, a small gaggle of children. I have four kids. And um, so through my career at Schneider, though, I've been able to pivot and, and lattice, you know, climb the lattice from roles focused in the U.S. to global roles to um, all different sorts of our business units and our different offers and, and you know, the industries that we support. So it's been a, a wild ride. But I found my calling in services and, um, you know, honed back on all that restaurant experience that I had. I love that. You know, the hospitality space is something I talk about all the time at the symposium um, in terms of all the learning moments that we feel in the consumer life. When you get a good experience at a restaurant or in a in a retail setting as a consumer, right, it, it it's something that you you start to think about. How does that translate within the business setting? And, you know, all the unexpected uh, experiences that you face in, in the consumer world in terms of you know, Uberization and, and how Amazon has changed things and the Ritz-Carlton and going above and beyond. Uh, I tell the stor story of Joshy the giraffe, the, the relaxing stuffed animal that was left behind at the Ritz-Carlton every year at the conference. Um, I, I love that upbringing. It, it makes perfect sense that you've now gone into the corporate world and you're using some of those things that you learned uh, within that setting. The, uh, the other thing is, is uh, Chicago's home to the symposium, so uh, it, it, it makes it a little convenient. And, and Karen, not only are we talking about business opportunities in terms of evolving your business focus, but we're also sharing war stories because I have four kids as well. <laughs> so we, all, we, we lean on each other for learning. And Sheila Ahmed on our team, uh, she's, uh, she also has four. So uh, we've, we've got a little focus group going on on the four children's side of things. Commiserate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, uh, never a dull day, right? Um, but um, well, very good. So uh, let's let's dive into the conversation. Um, so we're discussing voice of the field service engineer. Um, we, I told you a little bit about the fact that we are in the midst of our voice of the field service engineer survey. Some cool observations coming in the early returns. So we looked at the age demographic about. 5% uh, were in the Gen Z category, that 18 to 25 range in terms of age, 54% 25 to 44 age range, so Gen X, or excuse, excuse me, Gen Y, 
um, and about 42% in the in the Gen X uh, age range. So a good representation of both your elder statesmen and women, as well as your younger demographic. And we asked them uh, a question around what keeps them in field service. They like being in the field, but number two this year was pay. That was an interesting one this year. So inflation has been impacting service contract costs. It's also been impacting labor costs. Tell us about what the voice of the field service engineer means to you. We've got some other observations from the early returns we'll talk about as we go forward. But what does the voice of the field service engineer mean to Schneider Electric and yourself? And that 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 um, that pay area was something that we were talking about in planning that you might have a couple of interesting comments mm -hmm. on as well. Yeah, well, first of all, the survey itself, I love the content that it provides. And at, at any large corporation, I think we would have a little running joke that we're all surveyed out. And you know, certainly at Schneider, we're no different. We do have a few um, critical annual surveys that we apply benchmarks to and grade ourselves on, um, that we put a lot of emphasis on the feedback that we get from our employees, but that's all, uh, spanning the entire employee base. Also, we have our customer surveys and the data and feedback we get from our customers is extremely valuable. But I really look at this, the voice of field service engineer as a nice complement to, to what we do already at Schneider. And it supplements the data that we get. And it actually, you're asking questions that we're not necessarily asking our own employees. And it, in one way, I look at it as, oh my gosh, an oversight on my side. I should be asking them this, but <laughs> it's like an extension you know, of my reach to be able to tap into what you're get gaining from all of these industries and gets you thinking, if we're not asking about this, maybe we should be. And it also gets you thinking, you know, what are other people working on and shifting gears to on the price part on the, you know, the pay that is interesting that that's shown up as the number two, because we haven't seen that historically, but I will say uh, it makes a lot of sense because we're having to get very competitive with hiring these days and getting talent in and retaining our top talent. And I think um, we're using obviously pay as a, as a lever to be able to sustain our service business and keep the right people in their seats. So um, as a result, you know, we have to pass some of that cost on to our customers. And I think it's not unique with everything going on in the industry and the market with inflation, as you, as you referenced. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think everybody's feeling it a little bit, right? Um, you know, one of the things that we reflected on from last year's survey um, was 61% um, of technicians um, didn't feel like management reacted to their feedback and input. So it's it's one thing to listen, right, the voice of the field service engineer, but then to react and enact some changes to the environment that they're involved in that's an important action item and a, a sort of a takeaway is, is not just listening, but taking action, uh, involving them in the change, you know, empowering them to, to know that their voice is heard and that, you know, you're listening and paying attention. One of the things we do to that point is we create focus groups that are tasked with taking that, that feedback and driving action plans across the organization to really take that action. But I think sometimes we forget to, communicate what we've done and we do it in silos or behind the scenes. So I think the importance of 
communication to close the loop so the next time the survey comes out, uh, they can, you know, the responses are hopefully more positive. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so um, on, on the talent availability and capacity planning side, right, we, we've heard uh, and talked a lot about uh, the silver tsunami, the great resignation. I, I think that this period of the great resignation will be followed by the great scramble, which is where can I source talent from? Where can I, how can I keep my talent? How can I evolve my talent strategy? I think we're going to see a lot more embracement of contingent labor networks, extended third-party partnerships, um, I, and I think it's because it's out of necessity. Um, and as we look at the early returns on the survey, I'm just referencing some additional data here. 25% um, of technicians and engineers don't plan to stay uh, a field service engineer, so one out of four and 31% don't know. So half of our respondents, greater than half, may not be accessible to you as a service leader moving forward. And when we ask them why or what they're doing, only 38% indicated retirement. So it's not just they're aging out, um, they're, they're, they're finding new professions, they're leaving. 31% are finding a new pr profession. And 12% are following a pathway of, you know, going into a remote role or a back office role, that whole alumni network men mentality where you're taking your elder statesmen and women and putting them into a back office supporting role for your new uh, emerging workforce. Can you talk a little bit about the talent availability, the contingent labor strategy? Are these things you're looking at? Yeah. You know, the, the mega trends that you referenced, uh, the great resignation, the silver tsunami, um, they're evident and apparent everywhere, but there's one more. And this, we sort of touched on this last year in Chicago at the symposium was around just the general decline of people going into a trade. And I, I've done some research and it really started in early 2000s, um, with the decline of these vocational programs in our high schools. And there's a lot of debate around this, but the socioeconomics of this have led us to a position today where there's just less supply in the market. Forget the fact that, you know, it costs more to retain people and, and keep uh -huh. them happy. So it is what it is. And what are we going to do about it? So I have a sort of a two pronged approach to, to the actions that we're driving today to try to resolve this. One is all around retention. And so, yes, that has to do with from the day one that you joined Schneider Electric, let's give you an amazing experience that you couldn't imagine leaving Schneider. Just the same kind of experience we want to give our customers. Let's give that to our employees and wow them. So um, it starts with that first impression and then continuing throughout their career. So what kind of training can we give them? Of course, continuous training and education to advance their skills but then recognition, and we spent a lot of time talking about my hero program and my collaboration with John Knorr um, on building our hero program to really highlight these men and women are the value that we sell. They are the most, I'm a mom of four, so I don't play favorites at home, but I play favorites in service. It is the field service engineers and technicians that are the heroes. So how can we continuously recognize them and celebrate them and make sure the rest of the organization realizes that? And then providing some promotional paths, as, as you mentioned, you know, the wanting to go into a centralized remote role. It's 
in our business and buildings, it can be very physically taxing to be up on a ladder all day. And, and you kind of want to graduate out of that. But how can we keep you in our family and give you a path? So that retention activities, it's a lot that goes into it, but it's not a one trick pony. The second um, tactic that we're using is really enabling our employees and adapting the working requirements. So leveraging that alumni program so that we can shift some of our workflows. And ultimately, could we hire technicians with maybe less of that skill set, that legacy skill set that we love, but could we make some adjustments that we could actually get people in the door faster, train them, but give them this central resource that they can call on and work in a more agile way. So this, this widens our talent pool by doing that, gets younger talent in the door, and then we support them with not only the different ways that we can organize our human resources, and we can also you know, expand on the digital opportunities that we have to support our labor as well. Third party is, is, uh, is interesting. I think um, in my particular business, it gets a little challenging, but I have seen it work. I do think there's a, a lot. I've seen some interesting things going on with you know the Uberization of service and how can we model our business after that, depending on the complexity uh, of the job. I think there's a time and a place for it for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we, we we've heard a little bit of resistance to uh, the gig economy, um, and I, I think you know one of which is um, the disconnection of um, the brand experience, right? They think, walk, talk, and act a little bit differently. They're 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 running P and L for John Smith or Sally Smith Incorporated. You know, they're they're individual person if they're truly an independent contractor. And so, truly, do they fit into the methodologies that you have as an organization from a from a customer experience standpoint? Um, that that's one of the resistance um, areas. The other is uh, the skill set deficiencies, and and how do you sort of upskill, reskill, and and train them in your the the ways of. Uh, of uh, of your organization, I, I want to encourage our listening audience to interact today. Um, so uh, Karen's here for an hour. Uh, we're, if you want to submit questions or comments, reactions, um, please feel free to push those in, and we'll try to get a real time response here. Um, and I want to build off of some of the comments that you just made, Karen, with um, some areas that I think are are important on your your topic of retaining and developing and onboarding and getting trades interest. Um, the the lack of vocational schools and and or or the decline of vocational schools, I should say. Um, we're uh, we're so excited this year. The symposium is building. The agenda is building. Karen's going to be joining us. Thank you. We're looking forward to having Karen on main stage again, um, and her team will join us as well in some capacity. But we're going to have uh, the Home Depot is going to be joining us. Uh, and they'll be uh, delivering a keynote on day one in collaboration with an organization called the Skillpoint Foundation. And it is uh, exactly built around that, generating interest in the trade space at a young age um, for uh, secondary uh, education and, and awarding scholarships to students to enroll them in trade schools and, and build them into a career of service. So I, I, I think that's uh, going to be an interesting topical discussion we hear from the Home Depot, who's a, obviously a well-known brand. Mm -hmm. um, 
the other thing um, on the on the enablement, you talk about enablement, uh, enabling your workforce. A lot of what you're talking about, there's parallels in our personal lives in terms of you know subordinating the the workflow uh, in terms of that that field service expert at the end of the journey, and looking at you know the subordination of tasks that lead up to that that field service expert being required in the dis in in that service delivery. It's kind of like the doctor experience when you go to a doctor's office, right? It's like you see the nurse practitioner, you see all these people leading up to the doctor and the doctor comes in and, you know, gives you the blessing and then away you go, right? I mean, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because when I was young and I'd go to the dentist, I was in a very, I, I wasn't born in the 50s. I was born in the 80s, but I was with a very 1950s style dentist. And he did it all. So I had never heard of a dental hygienist. <laughs> and then as I got older and you know moved and got a family dentist, and I, I was like, who are these other people? Where is the actual dentist? And then they would come in and I'm like, ah, I get it. Okay, there's a team <laughs> of people that can do and support me. It's so true. It's so true. And 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 the tribe is better than the individual, right? So right. Uh, all, all sorts of opportunities to think about workflows, uh, we've done a number of exercises with members around stratification of labor and looking at, okay, scenario A calls for a uh, group of technician A versus A, B, and C. So all sorts of cool things around labor stratification and 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 um, engagement stratification and learning about that customer journey and that service journey, if you will. So cool points, uh, really cool points. Let, let's shift gears a little bit. Burnout mental health and wellness, which is a big cause of resignation, one of the causes of the great resignation. Um, it's not just frontline though, right? It's it's everybody. Tell, pers any, any personal reactions to the topic of mental health and, and, and yeah. burnout? I think um, I reflect on what's happened with the pandemic and the shift just in my calendar, you know, for me personally, and I know a lot of my peers where we were prior to 2020 traveling quite a bit, had a lot of, um, you know, flexibility in our calendars to then being grounded at home. And now suddenly you have just back to back to back virtual calls. Well, now that we're able to move about the country a little bit more, at least for some roles, you know, the pendulum hasn't fully shifted back. So now you're dealing with this trying to be everywhere in, in two places at once sometimes. Um, and your calendar hasn't changed because not everyone's workflows and work habits have, have changed or gone all the way back. So there's that, which definitely causes burnout. I think there's also just, you know, we talk about all these mega trends in the market and the transformations that we're driving across all different areas of our business. Well, when we talk about transformation, that equals change. And what does change do for people? It stresses them out. So no matter what role you're in, there's probably some sort of corporate transformation impacting your life. And the way that you react to that is often with anxiety and stress. And, and there's an emotional roller coaster that goes along with that. And I think that's also contributing to, you know, some of the conversations I've had with, with colleagues about them feeling burnt out. Um, so it's, it's worrisome for sure. And I think it's a matter of leadership to be aware of that and drive some, some programs that can support our people. 
Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And 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 um, it, it was such an important topic. We we dedicated our our board meeting in Q1 to the topic of mental health and wellness and had a panel of experts. Uh, the the CU Boulder uh, Leeds School, uh, Corey Cunningham joined us. We had Darcy Grudadaro, who um, is the director uh, for the Center for Workplace Mental Health at the American Psych- Psychiatric uh, Association Foundation join us and a couple of others. Chris Westlake from Medtronic has been a big advocate for the topic of mental health um, and uh, talked about ways in which we can support mental health and establishing listening posts and, and thinking about being proactive in, in reaching out to your personnel to, to plug in and see how they're doing and providing resources, not, not playing the role of clinician because none of us are, but being empathetic and helping enable them to gain access to the help and support that they need. Um, so uh, a hugely important topic, and we're going to build uh, off of that in terms of it's such an important topic uh, at all levels of the organization. So it'll be sprinkled across our podcast series. It will also be uh, very much uh, embedded at the symposium in terms of workshops. It certainly uh, was not on the agenda five years ago, right? I mean, it's a new topic coming to the forefront, and I give a lot of credit to leaders like Chris, who are bravely bringing it to the surface and incorporating it into, you know, just the general subject of these are priorities for us. So it's not just about the bottom line. It's not just about utilization and customer satisfaction. It's about the mental health and well-being of all of our employees. Yeah, it, 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 very, very well-made points. Uh, at last year's Voice of the Field Service Engineer Survey revealed a couple of critical um, items that were uh, causing mental health and uh, in, in burnout. Um, one of which is isolation, a lot of windshield time, a lot of time away from family, um, time away from, you know, people, if you will, the, 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 the front office. Um, the, the other thing you just mentioned it, the utilization focus, you know, we, you think about some of the ways in which we measure the efficacy of our business, and we're seeing an evolution of utilization from number of jobs per day uh, to more how much time is spent being uh, uh, efficient in the field and effective. Um, because, you know, we're, we're giving these mixed messages in, in many respects to the front line or in yesteryear, right? We're asking them do more jobs per day, um, avoid overtime usage. We don't want to pay you more, but we need more work out of you. And it's like, these two things kind of collide and and they don't really work together, do they? Um, We have an interesting um, question and comment submission submitted by uh, Lanre Adiola. Thank you very much for participating. Why do you think trade schools have been second nature to the traditional four-year college? And how can big companies like yours encourage future potential talent to be okay with investing their time in a trade school? if a traditional uh, four-year college is out of the picture. So thank you very much Ooh. for and that I know comment. Lanre is tuning in. He's a fellow Schneider hero. So um, I- I'll tell you this, in some of the research I've done, it-, it stemmed, and I'm not the expert, by the way, but I'll tell you what I've learned. Stems back to the No Child Left Behind initiative, and there was a lot of studies done on just um, you know, ensuring that all students had a fair and equal opportunity to education, and were you know learning reading and writing skills, and had a fair chance um, at whatever path in life they wanted. And a, a lot of 
uh, people believed that that meant going to a four-year college after high school. And that really is, flies in the face of the trade school vocational path. And, um, and so there's been a lot of studies and done on statistics of graduation and what happens to these students after graduation. Do they enter into poverty because of whatever path they took? Um, and I think, you know, again, this, this pendulum idea of this thing swinging back and forth, I, I don't think it's quite centered yet. And um, it would be great. You know, I know Schneider Electric, we partner with some community colleges to try to get in there and um, you know pr provide some of our equipment to their lab space and train their students and then of course try to recruit them into Schneider after the fact or give them an internship opportunity. I think it actually needs to go a few layers deeper into the younger generations. And I'll even just share, when I was um, growing up in Rhode Island in elementary school, I'll never forget the day that a team of people from American Power Conversion came and visited my elementary school class in third grade. And it's it's kind of like the cigarette marketing, right? You know, get them while they're young. And somehow I wound up working for this company. I don't know if it was just serendipity or <laughs> what have you, but I do think that we have an opportunity to show students and families that there is a wonderful living that you can earn and a very great st stability that you can get in life by following these paths. I, I, I remember similarly at school, the community helpers programs where you'd have firemen and women and and ambulance and police and expanding trades like plumbing and all these electricians and they'd come through and we'd focus on all these community helpers and trades industries i love that because it, it's the heart of our our lives it's the, the heart, heart of america. america yeah absolutely and you know um one of the things that i think is interesting is that we've seen an evolution of the the technician role in terms of its importance you know over over time it's gone from blue collar to white collar you know we've seen you know them labeled technicians then engineers and i don't think there's a negative connotation to being a technician i think it's wonderful mm -hmm. but we see this this uh this engineer uh evolution and we we're also obviously you're you're calling them heroes um and i've heard uh, other organizations for example ford uh, with their electric vehicle strategy um, they rolled out a team of what they're calling angels, right? So <laughs> the importance of the engineer or the technician is is evolving. It's becoming more and more uh, deeply ingrained in the customer experience and in the, the success of, of a company um, right. in terms of the importance of service. Make so. it an attractive destination, you know, and highlight it. And, and I think that we can drive some positive momentum just through that activity, but many more are needed for sure. It also circles back to the number two reason what keeps uh, field service engineers in service now, which uh, early returns on the voice of the field service engineer findings suggest it's pay. You can make a great living as an engineer and a technician. So uh, I think it's um, that's evolved too. We're seeing fair compensation and rising compensation, which is, a I think, a great thing given the importance they play. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and shift gears. Um, so on the mental health burnout side, we'll, we'll park that. A really important topic. We can circle back if if there's areas uh, that organizations or our listening audience want to plug into on that again. The so one of the other areas that's a big challenge is you know the time that technicians and engineers spend finding information right in, in the in the area where you know, they, they don't have the knowledge or it's a sophisticated uh, endeavor to resolve whatever they're trying to, 
how do we upskill, reskill, or make the knowledge accessible to them? And and digital transformation, we've heard so many topical discussions around this, and it's going to continue to be important. Um, and, and our research data suggests that it's going to continue to focus on building a technician agnostic infrastructure. So how can we capture, disseminate, and empower our teams with that information so that you can sort of level the playing field, if you will, um, moving forward? Is this something, can you tell us a little bit about yes. Schneider Electric's approach to digital transformation and making that knowledge and information accessible? There's two, I mean, there's a lot that comes to mind with that meaty subject, but I'll, <laughs> I'll narrow it down to the two biggest areas I, I'm focusing on today. One is uh, leveraging AI. Everything you just described could be solved with implementation of artificial intelligence software. There's some really great partners actually I've met through um, Service Council, uh, Quant, for example, is a wonderful company that's got great solutions for that, you know, geared towards service. But ultimately, how can you automate the mundane? And how can you tap into that legacy expert technicians um, tribal knowledge that's that's in some way, shape or form been documented in our work order systems? And how can you connect those solutions to the, the queries that and the challenges that the customers are calling us in for. So why would we make our entry-level technicians, Why would how could we ever expect them to have all the answers and all the different scenarios and nuance in uh, without actually arming them with the answers? So AI is like, it, I'm sure everyone's going to be saying that's old news in five years because everyone's incorporated it at some point soon. Um, that is going to enable us to do all the things we were talking about earlier with solving the problem of the supply of human talent in the market. If we can get them in lesser skilled and broaden our net for talent, get those the right people that are going to deliver outstanding experiences, but arm them with the technical know-how through AI, I think it, it's going to be amazing. I'm really excited about that. The other big area which i think a lot of people could relate to is just the concept of predictive analytics and actually putting your money where your mouth is and using your predictive analytics to to deliver service so you know for example i had a great conversation with someone just yesterday and he was like what is you know what does the p stand for in pm so preventative maintenance well a lot of times the uh the pm was written by manufacturers who wanted to protect themselves in warranty period. So the steps that a technician is following when conducting a PM really are just not value add all the time. So if we could actually incorporate the analytics that we're tracking proactively into our service, we, we can steer away from these traditional routine PMs and solve things and actually prevent downtime and be smarter about where we spend our time and, and how we're working. And I think every technician, they take a lot of pride in being value add and being the trusted advisor. And if they can walk in on site with insights into the health of a customer's equipment, rather than just receive a clipboard from the customer saying, you know, I want you to spend time here, there and everywhere, but we actually direct the work with these predictive analytics, it's going to be a game changer. So those are the two big top topics. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you capture a, a number of technology investment trends that we're still following very closely. Service Leaders Agenda um, highlighted uh, the, the critical technologies that are being focused on for investment. Business intelligence, AI, knowledge management, um, augmented reality, and more broadly visual support technologies, so AR, VR, MR, XR. Uh, continue to be prioritized. Um, and, and then field service management systems is an interesting investment um, that we're seeing as a priority. We're seeing a lot of consolidation of field service management systems. So you eliminate the disparate technologies that are out there uh, and create that single source of truth. You know, and that, and that kind of speaks to another emerging trend that we've been following, which is the movement from just modernizing your your technology stack and moving to truly a digital thread, like a digital transformation that's threaded and knitted together in a way that it's seamless for your enterprise to go between, uh, and it's also seamless for the customer. So, any um, any any comments or reactions to that discussion? It's it, it's happening at Schneider as well. I mean, it, it is just having one-stop shop, you get so much smarter, not only in the field, but our Salesforce benefits from it as well. When they have visibility into, you know, the history of a site, uh, the installed base, the, you know, the age of the installed base, we can create really great lead generation programs to go out and be more targeted with our sales growth. Um, and anyone that's touching the customer to be able to have their fingertips on site history, I think is a real value add so that you can really be the expert to the customer. You know, you make it more intimate when you, your customer feels like, wow, you really get me. You really know my site. You really know my challenges and pain points. And I think um, with all of this, all of this knowledge and this moving towards leveraging the predictive analytics in our service, it enables us to sell outcomes instead of hours. Yeah. So why, you know, we don't need to sell you 10 hours a month. We want to sell you, what are your goals, Mr. Customer? And how can we help you achieve those goals and give you the outcomes through our service delivery? Get a I lot love, smarter. Love that. Love that. We, uh, let, let's, um, let's get a reaction on, on what's probably a little bit of a tricky topic. And that is uh, when we ask technicians and engineers uh, what they don't like about the job. Mm. So this year, um, and, and it's pretty typical responses for the most part with one exception. So the number one answer choice was paperwork and administrative tasks. So the automation of that continues to be a focus, right? How can we eliminate the time they have to spend on paperwork and admin, which uh, Service Council's research indicates it's still roughly about one-fifth of the day, 20% of the day. Um, mm -hmm. The time spent looking for information was number two um, in terms of what they don't like. And so, you know, one of the things that we uh, reflected on last year was when stuck, what do technicians and engineers do? They phone a friend. So instead of plugging into the resources they have, right, they're phoning a friend and it's tying up two engineers if you don't have that internal infrastructure to support them. And, and so, you know, we did some cost breakdown analyses of, you know, if you have X amount of technicians and one of them gets stuck a day, you're tying up two engineers. If the duration of the call is 15 minutes and that happens uh, to 20% of your staff, it's $1,000 per technician per day uh, wow. cost drain on your organization. So it adds up over the course of a year. The other area was the pressure to work faster. 
Um, so that was the number four. I skipped over number three again. Um, and, and that's um, the pressure from management and the pressure from the customer. So that's kind of two uh, inside, outside. And the number three is being tracked. Okay, mm -hmm. so we're talking about digital transformations, the whole big brother uh, area. That That's something, there's some trickery around that. Any any comments or responses how you're managing that? So, you know, the idea of this um, telematics or some people call it geolocation, it is a great technology that we're incorporating into our service delivery. And it, that's that's the operative part of that statement. It's our service delivery. It's not about tracking the employee to know their whereabouts. Um, actually, one of the great benefits is uh, outcomes on safety because the number one cause of medical incidents is on the road. So when you're driving that, that vehicle to customer sites and so we can help create better, safer driving habits and respond more rapidly to any incidents and, and take care of our number one asset, the employee, first of all. But from the uh, customer aspect and the, the service delivery advancement, I'm very excited about the opportunity that this provides for us to be able to notify our customers of pending technician arrival. I mean, we this is... Domino's figured this out a long time ago. Safe Light figured this out a long time ago. Now my grocery is getting delivered. They figured it out. We've got to do this because our we're all consumers and we're getting this in other parts of our lives. We expect this in a B2B relationship as well. So I think we can really differentiate ourselves in the market if we can offer this service and this visibility to pending technician arrival um, in the fact by the way, if we even do need to roll a truck, because ideally we've digitized a lot of this and we can remotely resolve customers' issues before even having to inconvenience them by going and welcoming someone at the front door. But I am a, I think it just makes us that much more value add to our customers and much more intimate to say, you know, there's a picture of your driver here. You, you see him on the map. You can go and prepare to greet him. So... I'm excited about those features, the safety and the customer yeah. aspect. And we do need to mitigate the concerns of our employees. If they feel like they're being tracked, I think we need to be very transparent about what we're using the tool for and how we're protecting their privacy at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I think safety is a really critical factor, no doubt about it. Certainly customer empowerment um, and that whole consumerization side of things, whereas where is my tech? Where is my part? You know, can you provide visibility, trackability? Yeah. Uh, it has. We have to move there. That is the world that we live in. Um, we, we, yeah, it really is. We we had a, um, a an exploratory conversation with AAA uh, earlier this week, and we're hopeful uh, that uh, one of their key executives can join us at the conference. We've made the invitation. But he talked about roadside safety and in, in their world, it's 15 times more deadly than other industries because they're, you know, street side, curbside, you know, they, they've they've launched an initiative, slow down, move over. And, you know, how can you carefully uh, fix a vehicle when you've got 80 mile per hour cars whizzing by you and 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 obviously uh, workplace hazard and injury and, and even death is is huge in, in their space. And. 
and they do 60, uh, they have 62 million members and 32 million roadside events per year. So the number of opportunities to have uh, unsafe situations uh, is so incredibly huge. So they're really tracking and tracing and uh, making sure that policy is being followed. And I mean, it's, it's so pertinent to them. Right. The uh, let, let's uh, let's reflect on some other data. We have another comment coming in. We'll reflect on it in just a moment. Um, we asked field service engineers the features that they'd like to have uh, mobile features. And there's some interesting and telling findings this year. So it's it normally it's uh, knowledge and manuals and, and those things are still there. But we're seeing this orientation towards empowerment to find uh, parts and to mm -hmm. share parts and to order parts and do all sorts of cool things with parts. It, parts is so critical to service delivery. Are you, you're uh, you're emphasizing the importance of your relationship with your counterpart and supply chain. That's something really important to you as well, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's the hot, the other mega trend, supply chain, right? So it's no surprise that our technicians um, themselves feel the stress of not having parts readily available because they take that pride in resolving the customer's issue then and there, Johnny on the spot. So um, how can we support them with giving them better visibility to inventory, not just at the, you know, the branch level or the stocking location level, but I think you even said it like van to van. How, how can we know, you know, we can meet in a parking lot and I can swap parts with you. I mean, that's going to drive so much outcome that we want to see. And I think relieve a lot of the stress, again, going back to the concept of mental health. What is stressing these people out? Supply chain. Supply chain shortages is one of the number one causes of people's stress and anxiety these days. I'll, I'll give you an analogy. Um, restaurant industry, of course. So going back in the day, it's the dinner rush, okay? It's Friday night, it's dinner rush. You're a wait person and you have a fully sat section and the kitchen is behind and your customers have ordered their meals and the clock is ticking and they've got theater tickets. They've got to get out of that table. You want to turn that table, make some extra money, but the food is not coming. The supply chain is backed up. What can we do to get creative to keep those customers happy, but also remove and alleviate the stress of the wait person because they are going to burn out and leave. And so I think getting creative with, you know, in the restaurant industry, it's like, bring them some more water, give them some more bread, go ask them if they want any local, you know, uh, advice about places to visit. In sales, we can say, you know, I want to take you, invite you out to the golf course. I want to give you some free training. And what can our technicians do in this time? So how can we get smarter to take that stress off of their plate? And I think that the uh, creative inventory sharing is a great idea. I'd love to be able to incorporate some of that into my business. Yeah, you make a great analogy there. Uh, so the, the three data points, spare parts, inventory, visibility was the number one uh, feature that they would like. Uh, parts ordering was the number two. And, mm -hmm. and the number three was tech-to-tech -tech transfer of parts. I don't think we can do a table-to-table -table transfer of chicken wings in the restaurant industry. I don't think that would work. But but uh, but I love the analogy you just gave because that it's like how do you dance your way through that that stress and pressure that's being felt by the customer, but also the service person that's delivering the service, and uh, and it is a huge challenge. We we um 
we featured uh, a discussion uh, here on our in-service podcast series with Alex Ward from Cummins, the executive director of supply chain. He talked about supply chain visibility and transparency and predictability. Really interesting discussion. Uh, you can listen back to it. It's on, on this channel here. Um, let's uh, get a reaction. We have another comment here from our uh, from our gallery. Johan Diaz has brought, thank you, by the way, for your comment or question. Uh, why do you think it's taken so long to adopt this telematics technology and service? In the UK, we were selling this into emergency services and refrigeration transport 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. What's inhibiting the telematics within our worlds at this current juncture? Um, that's an interesting question. I think a couple of things come to mind. One is the conversations, I mean, this conversation has been had behind the scenes for years, but there was some trepidation around the uh, backlash that might occur because of the perception of exactly why, what you heard in the field service survey. They're scared. They don't understand why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was, there's some hesitancy to move faster in the service world for that reason. And you know, people are scared and want to protect their most valuable asset uh, and keep them on on the team. But at this point in time, everyone's doing it. So the fear of whether or not someone would leave to go to a place that wasn't doing it, it has lessened. Mm -hmm. So there's some safety there. Um, the other interesting statistic, just for my business and industry that I'm in, the buildings industry, we were ranked... 49 out of 50 in terms of the industry's willingness to change. Um, and I, I don't know the driving cause behind that, but I think there is just some um, slower adoption adoption of, of some of these technologies, probably rooted in fear or the unknown. Um, I don't know, John, if you've talked to others. So there's some cultural barriers, I think. I, I think you just highlighted a bunch of, of cultural barriers. I, I think there's also some legal barriers of entry, mm -hmm. too. I mean, if, it, if it's a company-provided vehicle, company-provided device, then, of course, you know, that's ownership and IP of, of the business and the ability to track and trace against that is obviously front and center. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an attorney. Uh, but there, I think there are some considerations legally when you have a BYOB uh, or BYOD uh, situation, bring your own device uh, or a bring your own vehicle strategy. I, I don't know if there's some barriers of, of, of entry, if you will, because of some of those uh, aspects of, uh, of the way your operation is set up and established. But another consideration might be some of those legalities um, behind all those cultural barriers. Um, let, let's move the discussion forward. Thank you, Johan, for your uh, contributions. That was a great point, uh, a great uh, analogy you brought in terms of emergency services. And, um, and um, uh, we're going to be uh, uh, we have a number of members that are interested in that topic, quite honestly. So we might uh, have an, a future idea share, which is a, like a focus group that we host uh, moving forward on that very topic. So Karen, we're, we're running up here almost on time. A couple more questions and we'll close things out. Uh, in, in Dealing with Schneider Electric, you're so focused on the voice of the field service engineer. I see it um, and it, 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 it's clear that you recognize its importance. How, how far reaching is it? What, what sort of impact is it making within the Schneider Electric organization? It's um, it's huge. And if it's up to me, it reaches to every corner of the organization because 
you know, the better we can strengthen our execution arm, the more confident our sales force will be in selling the value that they deliver. And, you know, if you have a sales force selling some offers that they really don't believe in and they don't believe that our techs are adopting the tools that we give them or, um, you know, the predictive analytics example, then you're going to fall on your face. And I've seen that happen in different places. And I hear from the sales force that they, they get it. The most valuable asset is the technician. So um, wrapping our arms around them and supporting them however we can is of the utmost importance. Um, and that's, again, the impetus of the, the HERO program that I mentioned. So it's huge. I love it. Yeah, and, and, and you've built a, a rewards and recognition program behind that HERO program. I, I, I love what you've done there. We, we see the importance of the field service engineer just so far reaching as well, right? The, the case history and the information that can be garnered from all of the above can support design enhancements to future product releases if you're an asset-centric uh, industry. Um, the, the voice of the customer can be critical in terms of, you know, customer journey mapping and figuring out inflection points and all those different change opportunities. We see uh, its impact to the commercial side of the business in terms of the connection between service and sales. So it, it is just so critical. I, 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 we're, we're, we're waving the flag as well. So one of, one of the things I'll share I did uh, recently this year, I took a page out of, out of you know, your book with the advisory board on the service council. Um, I took my group of field service managers, so the men and women who manage the front line, because, you know, how do you wrap your arms around a group of 500 plus technicians? Well, you probably try to narrow it down to the, the people who are leading and influencing them, their managers. And I, you know, I took the best and brightest of that group of managers and I created a field service manager advisory board this year. And what we do is, you know, in lieu of giving out formal surveys every month and only trying to restrict it just a few times a year. We have an open forum of transparent information sharing and feedback that you know is so valuable to me that I don't get in my day to day with the type of you know day that my looks my day looks like and certainly not them either. And um, it's been incredibly value add and to be able to encourage them to share and let them know their voice is being heard. And I think the next thing I'm going to do is take this, the field service survey voice of the field service and, and bring it up with them and, and hear what their thoughts are. Because like I said earlier, we're not asking all of these questions, shame on us. So I'm going to start asking these questions at Schneider. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. Yeah. We look forward to getting uh, Schneider electrics voice in the survey from your, yes. from your workforce. So um, outstanding. So you're a board member. Um, you've your contributions have been many in in uh, uh, now a year running in that role, uh, a year plus, a little bit longer than a year. Um, what is the value you get from your affiliation with us? T you know, I'm I'm asking you to beat the drum. So sorry, but <laughs> tell us a little bit about what what you garner from from this uh, collaboration because it's been very meaningful for us. So um, just my own personal level, it's been the network build, you know, getting out of my own bubble, so to speak, getting out of Schneider's bubble, getting out of just even the buildings business and the energy management business and talking and meeting with other service executives in parallel industries or completely different industries. And um, the opportunity to meet some of them has been great. Downstream effects of that, 
you know, now that we're LinkedIn, for example, I see um, just sharing of talent, for example. And it was just recently I I called uh, Jamie Beck from Peloton. I was like, hey, I noticed somebody that used to work for you is is on the market. And would you recommend them? I never had that connection before. But also even in the board meetings and on the events like these to listen to other service leaders share what they're working on, what their challenges are that they're trying to overcome and realizing, you know what, it's the same problem, different day, you know, just different industry, different company. We, we have so much in common and we can learn from each other. And I feel better uh, equipped to perform my role now as a result of some of these relationships. So thank you for involving me. I love it. I love it. And, and uh, Karen, honestly, your, your contributions have been outstanding. So thank you so much. And, and for those listening, uh, get out of your bubble. Join us in Chicago, uh, September 19th through the 21st at the Smarter Services Symposium. It feels normal. Um, we, we've already uh, surpassed 150 registrants. And, and, and again, this isn't a trade show. It's a conference. It's an executive conference. Uh, 75% of our audience is director VP level plus. And we try to center the discussion on leaders like Karen telling stories around innovation, uh, how they solve challenges, what opportunities they're embracing, and how they're planning for the future. And so if that's of value to you, we, we hope you can join us. I got to tell you, we've got 150 plus registrants already. Um, we've almost programmed the whole main stage agenda already. We're about 90% of the way there. So it, it just feels normal. I feel like we're getting back to normal. And uh, so we hope you can join us in, in, in Chicago this coming September. Karen, let's land here uh, on the final question. Tell us a little bit about yourself personally. Any, any passion outside of work for you? Anything you're looking forward to this coming summer? Oh, yeah. Well, I wish I had some creative answer, like I have some crazy pastime or I don't know. But I'm a mom, you know, I, I'm trying to find that work-life balance, work-life blending, I think is the new phrase, which I love, and trying to just support my kids, set a great example for them, make sure they grow up to be adults who are contributing to society and the environment. And so I really just dive into my kids when, as soon as I log off of my computer and so this summer, we're excited to go visit some family back on the East Coast and get some beach time because I tell you what, Lake Michigan is is not the ocean. It's, even though you can't see to the other side, it's it's not the same thing. So I'm excited to get back out Northeast. Awesome. Well, let us know when you come back over here. Maybe we'll have lunch somewhere uh, around Boston area. We... Um... We're expecting 90 degree weather here this weekend in Boston. So we're, uh, it's finally here. It's arrived. So arrived. I love your answer around work-life blending. She is Karen Hamill. She's a board member. She's the VP of U.S. Digital Building Services for Schneider Electric. Um, join her uh, at the upcoming Smarter Services Symposium. And please share this with your colleagues. It's a really great resource. Karen, thank you so much for joining. We'll see you on the next one. Yes. Thanks. Bye, everybody.